time. Um, I get the chance to preach this morning, and it's always an honor, and I always um, am really blessed by the opportunity. And so we're going to go a new direction this morning. We're taking a little break from our Nehemiah series. And so to start us off and get our imaginations and our hearts ready for the scripture we have, I have a question that I want us all to start imagining and thinking about. So when was a time where you couldn't help but praise God, where praise just was like oozing out of you and you couldn't help but give your thanks and praise to God? So think about a time where that happened. Think about what that was like, how that felt, and what inspired your praise. Maybe you were driving home from work on your commute and you saw the pink and the orange and the yellow sunset and you couldn't help but thank God in your car. Or maybe I was talking with Carol this week, you were outside in your backyard and you saw a hummingbird's nest and you saw the intricate way it was formed and you couldn't help but thank God for his creativity and his detail-orientedness. Or maybe you're going through a transition and you've really sensed God's presence with you, that he was with you every step of the way, providing in ways you didn't even think were possible. And so you couldn't help but thank God for being there for you and being with you. Or maybe you couldn't contain your praise when you held your baby boy or your baby girl or your granddaughter or your grandson for the first time when you cradled them in your arms and you saw their precious little face. And you had to thank God. You had to praise God for creating them. <laughs> so when I think back to those times, I think about how I was feeling, how the praise kind of helped expand my heart. I felt lighter. I felt more open, more spacious. Maybe at times I've raised my hands or I've prayed in the car, in the shower, or just prayed in my heart. But just I want you to remember kind of what that feels like when we open our hearts and when we have that posture of praise towards God. Because what if this is what we were made for? What if praising God is our ultimate vocation or our telos? That's a fancy seminary word. It just means the end goal for that which we were created for. What if praising God should be as natural for us as breathing, as getting up in the morning? What if this is who we really are and what we are created to do? St. Ignatius of Loyola, he's one of my heroes, but he was the founder of the Jesuit Order of Priests, and he's an expert on devotion and prayer. Um, but I like this quote from him, and he puts it like this. God created us to praise, reverence, and serve God, and in this way to save our souls. God created all the rest of creation to help us achieve the purpose for which God created us. So this is the world as it's meant to be. We're meant to, we're created to praise God. And we can't help but praise, praise God when we encounter his kingdom or when we come to know and interact with King Jesus. So Jesus in our passage for today and highlights the inevitability of his disciples' praise. For Jesus' disciples, praising God is the natural way of things. They can't be silenced. They can't be quiet. And so the Pharisees, they come up to Jesus, and they want his disciples to quiet, to shut up. And Jesus says it plainly. 
He said, if they stop crying out, the rocks will cry out. If my disciples are silent, the stones will shout out. Nature itself will intervene if my people don't praise. No matter what, my people will praise me. So I just want you to imagine for a second, this is a silly picture, but look at that picture, look at this rock over here, and imagine a dead, lifeless rock bursting out in praise, lifting its hands somehow. It's just such a wild, such a crazy image. So I just want that image to sink in a bit because it's just so silly and crazy. Um, so our passage today comes from the book of Luke, and it includes the events of Palm Sunday, but actually there's no palm fronds in Luke's account of these events, and that's good because it's not actually Palm Sunday today, that's next week, um, but think of today as a little warm-up for Holy Week, which starts next week, and um, we get just a double dose of Palm Sunday, so it's going to be awesome. And then make sure to come next Sunday. We're going to have a palm processional with fair trade um, palms from farmers um, in Guatemala. And they've sent us their palm fronds. And so kids come early. And if you want to be a part of the palm processional, be my guest. You're invited to. Um, so come definitely next week for that. But so our passage, as I've said, um, comes from Luke. And so as we uh, prepare our hearts to open God's word, Please join me in prayer. So Jesus, we thank you that we, you created us to praise you, and you are worthy of all of the praise in the universe. We thank you for your kingdom that is here, that is within us, that is around us. And Lord, help us achieve the purpose for which we were created, which is to praise you forever and ever. Help us remember that even if we don't, the rocks will take our place no matter what. You will be praised, God. Amen. So I invite you, if you have a Bible or you're welcome to look at the screen, to turn to Luke chapter 19, verses 35 through 40. And this is a reading from the voice translation. So verse 35. They brought the colt to Jesus, threw their coats on the colt's back, and then sat Jesus on it. As Jesus rode along, some people began to spread their garments on the road as a carpet. When they passed the crest of the Mount of Olives and began descending toward Jerusalem, a huge crowd of disciples began to celebrate and praise God with loud shouts, glorifying God for the mighty works they had witnessed. The crowd of disciples shouted out, The King who comes in the name of the Eternal One is blessed. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. But the Pharisees who were in the crowd said, Teacher, tell these people to stop making these wild claims and acting this way. And Jesus says, Listen, if they were silent, the very rocks would start to shout. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So one thing I love about the Bible is that we have four Gospels, so often we have four different perspectives and flavors of an event that might have happened. Um, I was talking with Jeff this week, and he was talking about how he went um, on a trip to Israel, and they all posted pictures on their Instagram of the trip, 
But if you looked at all their Instagram profiles, it would seem sometimes like a different trip because different people notice different things or remember different things. And so that's um, kind of a cool thing that we have in our Bible. So in Luke's gospel, um, he really emphasizes that this crowd, it's not a random crowd. It's not um, people just wanting to maybe catch the latest celebrity pastor or just curious onlookers kind of wanting to stop by. No, Luke emphasizes that this is Jesus's disciples. These are the people that have been on the winding road to Jerusalem with Jesus. They have tasted and seen his saving and healing and liberating power, and they want more of it. So these are people that know Jesus. The text says that they have witnessed his mighty works. So they've seen him transform the lives of his neighbors, or of their neighbors, of their friends, of their family. Maybe even they've seen their enemy, that who they never thought could be touched by any goodness. Maybe they've even seen Jesus change the life of their enemy. And so these people who have seen Jesus, who have seen his mighty works and deeds, they cannot help but shout aloud their praise. So what exactly have these disciples witnessed so far? So in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, about 10 chapters earlier, Jesus sets his face resolutely towards Jerusalem, and he knows that it is his time. His time is drawing near to die, and his time is drawing near um, for, yeah, the crowds to hand him over. And so in the 10 chapters after Jesus is turning towards Jerusalem, we see beautiful pictures of his ministry, of the parables he tells, and of his miracles. And Jesus is embodying the prophetic words that he says in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth, um, these words that he prophesies from Isaiah 61. And so he tells everyone in his hometown, I am the one fulfilling these words. And so he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus has indeed fulfilled this scripture. He has told parable after parable, confounding the wise and uplifting the poor. He has healed the crippled and the lame. He has taught his disciples how to pray. He has welcomed children and encouraged them to come close to him. He's healed a blind beggar and given him new purpose, and he's transformed the life of a height-challenged tax collector named Zacchaeus. And so all of these events, everything he's been doing has been leading up to this moment of descent on the Mount of Olives. So when I imagine this procession of disciples who have seen Jesus' mighty deeds, I see Zacchaeus who's super, I'm guessing, energetic and enthusiastic and likes to run, running ahead of the procession, taking off his probably expensive and fancy coat and putting it down on the ground. And then I see dozens of others seeing what he does and following suit and putting their coats down on the ground to create this soft and luscious carpet um, for Jesus. And when I imagine this scene, I imagine the blind beggar who Jesus had just healed um, in, outside the gates of Jericho and who has spent his whole life crying out for help and who got saved because he cried out in a loud voice for mercy. I imagine that his voice is so loud 
and he's had such practice crying out that he might have been leading the chants of God's people and leading them um, to sing and to praise to Jesus. So I imagine him kind of getting the crowd going. Um, and then I remember a few chapters before in Luke that Jesus welcomes the children and calls them to him. So I can imagine the kids kind of playing tag or maybe throwing rocks at each other, but trying to get close so they can, whoops, so they can pet the colt and so they can say, hey, Jesus. And I bet that they knew that Jesus wouldn't rebuke him because before when his strict disciples were like, shoot, um, Jesus had them come and maybe sit on his lap. Um, so I just imagine so much going on in this scene. And so maybe not now, but maybe later this week you could read this scene, um, read this scripture at home, and just imagine where you would be in this crowd um, and what, yeah, how Jesus would speak to you. So as we can see, Jesus' procession includes hypocrites, prostitutes, the elderly, tax collectors, religious leaders, religious followers, addicts, thieves, beggars, blind and deaf people, men, women, children, healed ones, depressed ones, cynical ones, and ones still longing for healing and longing for hope. But something about Jesus and his kingdom has inspired every single one of them to praise and to shout to God and to Jesus, their king, for his mighty deeds. So if you were in the crowd that day, what would you shout? What would come out of you? What praise would burst from your lips? What mighty deeds have you seen Jesus do in your life or in the life of someone in your family or in the life of someone in your community? Jesus' disciples cry out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so their shouts include um, a reference to the Old Testament, to Psalm 118, verse 26. And that psalm says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this time the crowd um, kind of changes that and says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So they've identified for the first time that Jesus is their king. And so I do believe in other um, accounts of this event, the crowd is more fickle and not sure about who Jesus is. But because it says that these were Jesus' disciples and that they saw his mighty deeds, I'm thinking that they kind of have a little bit of a glimpse of who Jesus is and what kind of king he is. They kind of know that it's, he's definitely a different king um, than the Roman authorities. I mean, he's riding in on a colt. Um, and they've just seen his kingdom and how different it is from the world. But I don't think they've fully grasped, and I don't think they could fully grasp what kind of king he is, and that a few days later, he um, would be handed over to be crucified. I don't know that they fully understand yet that he is a king who is victorious over death, and that the peace, but I do think, even though they don't fully understand that, that the peace, the healing, the saving power that they have experienced from Jesus, I believe that is realer than real. And they've tasted this joy and this hope and this heavenly glory. And they can't keep from shouting about it. 
they will not keep quiet. So blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The crowd has found their voices now. The blind beggar is crying out louder, louder, and they're getting louder. And I imagine if Mary, Jesus' mother, was there, that the crowds might remind her of when the shepherds came to be with her at Jesus' birth, and they told her the story of how the angels visited them in the fields nearby, and how they sang their song, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. So Jesus offers this heavenly peace that is so different from the peace that Rome or the world offers. And this genuine peace is so amazing and so worthy of praise that these people in the crowd, they pledge allegiance publicly to this Jesus. And they say, this Jesus is our king. But as we might expect from any kind of ragtag group of people that is getting excited that they're in the streets, they're getting loud, that some people are not going to be happy about that. Because they are worshiping a different kind of king and a different power than Rome. Their praise is going to turn heads, ruffle Roman feathers, and disrupt the status quo for everyone. So for the Pharisees, things are getting out of hand. Things are too much. They can't believe that his followers are calling him king. Don't they know all the turmoil and how this could ruin their delicate, peaceful relationship with Rome? Don't the don't these followers know? Doesn't Jesus know that they can't be saying this? Come on. So I imagine them saying, no, we've got to put a stop to this. And so they go up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, if you're their king, get them to stop shouting. Get them to stop crying out. And then Jesus, of course, is all about the mic drop moments. So I can imagine the crowd going kind of hush to hear what he has to say. And Jesus says, listen. If they were silent, the very rocks would start to shout. And then I could maybe see the crowd again, once again, like erupting in praise. <laughs> so Jesus tells it like it is. His disciples cannot and will not stop shouting the truth about who he is. They cannot be silenced. And even if they were, nature would intervene. Nothing can stop the praise, nothing will stop the praise that is due King Jesus. The disciples are proclaiming what is ultimately true, and their witness cannot and will not be stopped. Though a few short few days later, this King, this Son of God, will be rejected, abandoned by his closest friends, and handed over and crucified on a cross. Though the curtain will tear in two and the earth will shake and the rocks split and though everything will seem lost and like death has won, the stone that is rolled away in front of the empty tomb will have the final word. The glory of God, the love of God will be revealed. Nothing we can do or say or nothing we don't do or say can stop one day all of creation shouting and praising and bowing down before Jesus. So this reminds me of the reality of our vocation, our job as worshipers, and how John in the book of Revelation, I just love 
the pictures and the visions he gets about what this worship will one day look like, what it will look like when all come together and bow down before the throne. So I invite you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read us a scene from the book of Revelation, from chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. And so I just invite you to imagine, you could imagine yourself before the throne, just imagine what this full reality, our telos coming true, our full, what humanity is called to do. We are created in the image of God, and we are created to worship and to praise God. So this is what it will look like. So I invite you to close your eyes as I read these verses from Revelation chapter 5. So he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. So we are created to praise and worship God. It's who we are, it's who God has made us to be. And if we don't, the rocks will, all of creation will. So as I was preparing for this sermon this week, I came across a beautiful spiritual, um, which if you want to look it up on YouTube, it's called Don't Want No Rocks is the title. And then it's by Rev. Paul Jones, if you want to look it up on YouTube later. But so I want this song um, to really inspire me and guide me during Holy Week. And so I'm going to read us some of the lyrics. So with my voice, I will speak for you, Lord. When I open my mouth, I will sing your praise. With my hands, I will lift you, Lord. For I don't want no rocks, no rocks crying out in my place. For I don't want no rocks, no rocks crying out in my place. So as we prepare for Holy Week, how can we live into our true identity as worshipers, people created to bring worship and praise to God? So I invite us, 
like the disciples in that procession thousands of years ago, to notice and to remember all the mighty deeds that God has done in our lives, in the lives of our families, in the lives of the generations previous, in the lives of the generations to come. And let's thank God in advance for the work of his kingdom, the healing, and the glory that he wants to pour out on all of us. Let's thank and praise God for what he has done, his mighty works, and the mighty works he will do. Until one day we too will be bowing down before the throne and the Lamb and worshiping God forever and ever. So maybe um, this is your first time even considering that Jesus could be Lord of your life. And this might be your first step is to just come closer to Jesus, to receive the healing and liberating and saving power that he wants to offer you, that he is so willing to give. And maybe for the first time you want to say, Jesus, I want you as Lord of my life. I want to follow you like the blind beggar that was healed. He just got up and he followed Jesus on the road to Jerusalem, wherever it would lead him. So maybe for the first time you want to say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to worship you. I want to be who I was created to be. So I just invite you that as you follow him, as you receive his tender love and mercy, you too, I'm sure, will be inspired to praise. Because praise is not something that we have to muster up. We get to participate. We have a God who is three in one, a triune God. And the Trinity, they are worshiping each other. The Spirit is pointing to Jesus, and Jesus is pointing to the Father. And it's this beautiful dance that we get to join in. So we don't have to perform. We don't have to make up our worship. We just get to participate in the worship that is already happening. And that is just so beautiful. But also, I understand if you feel alone in your worship, if you don't know how to worship yet. So I invite you to join a community, to get involved in a church, whether it's this one or another one. Um, you can join us on Tuesday nights as we've been praying and worshiping. Um, one amazing time this Tuesday was, I'm going to shout out to Cody, but we were all um, just proclaiming our praise to God and just praise after praise was coming out. And just Cody, he couldn't help but contain his praise. And it was just flowing out of him like a living spring bubbling up. And so that was so beautiful. And so I think us all praising together as a community really helped foster um, that atmosphere of worship and praise. So, and even maybe you feel like a rock yourself, you feel lifeless, maybe you're without hope or you're cynical or you're depressed or you don't know how you can worship. Um, I just invite you to ask God, ask God to help you. And I know that he will be merciful and faithful to you. So as I've said, our King Jesus is worthy of all the praise in the universe, and we are created to worship him. So let's continue to cry out with our disciple ancestors who are in the procession that day. Let's cry out with Zacchaeus and the blind beggar who was healed and the children who were welcomed by Jesus. And let's cry out with all of those people in the procession so long ago. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Amen. May it be so. Oh, so I invite everyone to stand for the blessing. And then if you need prayer, if you want to continue in a spirit of praise, feel free to stay in the sanctuary. And we also have um, Sharon.
Maxwell would love to pray for you. So in the name of the Father who created us to worship him, and in the name of his son Jesus, who is worthy to break the scroll and worthy of our praise forever and ever, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, who is constantly pointing us to Jesus and inviting us to praise, go forth as we prepare this Holy Week, becoming the true worshipers and praisers of God that you were created to be. So go in peace, living spring, and have a great week. And we'll see you next week.